0: Today we're going to continue in a series that we started a couple of weeks back called Encounters with Jesus. And friends, what we're doing is digging in to the scriptures and examining what they tell us about some of the earliest encounters that different people had with Jesus at his birth. But more importantly, we're exploring how those encounters impacted their lives, the remainder of their lives. And and even more so, it's important for us to consider how does it impact our lives. You see, friends, Jesus is not interested in us doing religious hula hoops. We're not monkeys in a circus. Right? We're not animals performing for a crowd. No, Jesus wants to encounter us. He wants us to have relationship with him. He wants us to know him, but he also wants us to know that we're known by him. That we're loved by him. That he cares for us. Come on give God some praise if you believe that. And if we're gonna do that today, it's important to push past to push past what I have to say. I simply bring you a message. I don't bring you an opinion. I think it's important for us to really consider the scriptures, to weigh the truth in the scriptures and see how it applies to our life. So if we're gonna do that, I want to encourage you to be open before God, to lay your heart bare before him and to ask God, God, are you. Teaching me something today. Come on, say that with me. God, are you teaching me something today? Is there something you want to teach me today, Father? Is there something that you want to show me that there's an error in my life, in my belief system, in my, my approach, my perspective? Father, is there something that you want to correct me, and is there a better way that you're showing me? And lastly, is there something that you're calling me to apply? See, what good is truth if we don't do anything with it, Right? How is change possible if we don't respond to the truth? And so today as we lean into the scriptures, we're going to be focusing in on a man named Simeon. And Simeon was a man who met Jesus eight days after his birth. But he encountered him well before his birth. You'll see why in a second. Now just to give you some backdrop, in Jewish culture in these days, until this day, at the eighth day is when you would present a child. And when they would present this child, they would bring some sort of offerings, right, that was prescribed by the law. And they would present the child. You know, it's the reason why we do not baptize children, why we don't sprinkle them, because we don't have that example. But what we do have is that Jesus himself was presented before the Lord. And so on this particular occasion is when Simeon encountered Jesus physically for the first time. Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 25, tells us, Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Let me pause right there for a moment and give you some understanding of what's going on here. He was waiting for the people of Israel to be comforted. There was something wrong in this day and age, at this time. The voice of God had been silent for centuries at this point. The people of Israel were under captivity. The world was in turmoil. There was a lot of insecurity. There were people who had grown accustomed to the ways of Rome and the, and, and the Grecian style that, that undergirded all society in the world in that day. Hellenism ruled in those days. And so the world was topsy-turvy. Kind of sounds like the world we live in today. And in the midst of this, there was a man named Simeon who was just and devout, and he was waiting for this comfort from the Lord. And the Holy Spirit, the scripture says, was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen, uh, uh, before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And so he came by the Spirit into the temple. and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the Lord, the scripture says that he took him up in his arms and he blessed God and he said, "Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face." Of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles, that's us, people that aren't Jewish, and the glory of your people Israel. Now friends, this was an ordinary day for the average person at the temple. It was a day for some to worship, it was a day for others to pray, others to bring their customary offerings, and yet others to present their children before the Lord like Mary and Joseph. But for Simeon, this was the day he lived to see. This was the day that that his greatest need and desire was fulfilled. It was the day when the hope he had held to for so many years would finally bring him across the finish line. Today, friends, I want to talk to you from from the word of God. I want us to lean into the heart of God. I want to talk to you on the topic of the power of our hope. The power of our hope. You see, Simeon was looking forward to this day. He had been living with this hope for years. And for some of us, we've stopped living with hope. We've stopped living with hope. Now, hope, according to Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, because that's where we all look for definitions, right? That's where you go to get a definition these days, right? Merriam-Webster uh, says that hope is to want something to happen to be true. It's a strong feeling of expectation. And most of us agree with that definition because we hope in that manner. Let me tell you what I, what I mean. We want to believe for a better life. We want to believe for healing we want to believe for restoration in our homes, in our, in our relationships, in our very inner core. We want to overcome, but for some of us, we've given up on hope and we can't seem to shake it off. It's been so long in our waiting that some of us no longer believe it to be true. We give up. Too quickly on God. And instead, we linger in hopelessness, hoping and a wishing and a praying that one day in the the sweet by and by way yonder out there, I'll see God's faithfulness. But you see, friend, Simeon teaches us that there's a difference between hoping for something to be true and hoping because something is true. Hope is based on something that is true. First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 tells us, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, listen to this, He has caused us to be born again into a what? A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. We see here that the difference between wanting something to be true and knowing it to be true, listen closely, is how it impacts our life. See, hope is supposed to impact you and me. Hope in Jesus should be impacting you daily. It should be changing the way we feel. It should be changing the way we see things. It should be operating in us and strengthening us and comforting us. And so according to this passage, we have a living hope. A living hope. When the scripture says that we have a living hope, it's talking about a breathing, an active, a vigorous organism that is lively. It is animate. See, hope is not just, oh, I hope it comes to pass. That's not hope at all, friends. It's not hope at all. See, in essence, what this shows us is that true hope has the power to add life to us. See, when you have a living hope, you're living. You're invigorated for life. You're invigorated for life. You're you're, you're animated for life. You're excited about life. You're looking forward to every day. You're excited about what's to come. You rejoice in the promises of God. You're not moved by the circumstances. You're not moved by public opinion. You're not driven by your feelings. Your feelings, you'll feel them. But you don't have to be trapped by them. Can I ask you a question for us to consider? How are you doing in this area of hope? How are you doing in this area of hope? How is your hope in Christ at work in your life right now? Is it working? Friend, if it's not, now's the moment to lean into God's word. Because I would dare say this to you. God has something to say to you today. To me, to us. This is important. So according to 1 Peter 1 and Simeon's encounter, the only hope that produces living hope is hope that is placed in Jesus Christ, our Savior. The same way he rose from the dead to make a way for the deadness in our lives, we now have a living hope because we can always get back up. Friend, you have hope. Got to tell three people, you have hope. Tell somebody else you have hope, friend. If you're online, you have hope. Put that in the chat room. Tag somebody. You have hope. Listen, we need to hear that we have hope. We have to be reminded that we have hope because we live in a world that lacks hope. Look to the news. Listen to the music. Follow the trends. Look at all the agendas being pushed on us. Look at where political leaders are trying to take us in this country. If we follow that, we will be in a hopeless situation. But the scripture tells us that we have Christ Jesus who is the hope of glory. I'm reminded of a story I heard uh, a while back of a gentleman named Liu Qi Kung. He was known in his day as China's top concert pianist. He was so good that he went to place second in an in, in international uh, competition known as the Van Cliburn in 1958. But that all came to a crashing halt in those days when he was imprisoned during the Cultural Revolution in China. You see, Western music was totally banned. And along with thousands of other artists and intellectuals, Kung was sent to prison where he languished for seven years without a piano. It would appear that this man's hope had died. During his imprisonment, he was denied the use of his beloved piano. But soon after his release, he was back on tour. Critics wrote in astonishment that his, manu- his musicianship was better than ever. They questioned, how did you do this? You had no chance to practice for seven years. Kong's response, I did practice. Every day I practiced. I rehearsed every piece I ever played, note by note, in my mind and in my heart. Let me tell you something about hope, friends. Let me tell you something about hope. Like this pianist, and uh, Simeon lived his entire life practicing his hope in his mind and in his heart. See, what you practice for, you prepare for. And hope is the ability to practice the promises of God in preparation for the the moment when we take them into our lives and they begin to work. Friends, hope is not just for tomorrow. Hope is a power that can impact your life today. We have hope. But the question is, Do we see according to that hope? Do we envision our lives according to that hope? When you read the scriptures, are you just reading words? Or are you practicing by meditating the scriptures? In your mind and in your heart, are you seeing yourself as the one that Jesus is restoring, that Jesus is calling out, that Jesus is inviting into the mirac- the miraculous moments? Do you see yourself as the healed of the Lord? Do you see as the- yourself as the one that God says that will prosper? Do you see yourself as the head and not the tail? Do you see yourself restored? Do you see yourself maturing and growing, friend? Hope gives us the ability to see into the future. By practicing in the present in our hearts. So the first thing I want to encourage you with here in concerning hope is that hope can change everything. But hope must first change you. Hope can change everything. But hope must first change you. It must change me. It must change us. In Luke chapter 2, if you read on I, I, at your own time, we're not going to read it, it references a woman named Anna. Anna was a prophetess. She was from the tribe of Asher, I believe it was. And the scripture tells us that she had been married for seven years before her husband died. Now, according to custom, most likely she had been married at a young age. And we know this because the scripture tells us later on something about her, her uh, the years that she had been a widow. We'll see that in a second. But she had been married for seven years, and then her husband died. And until then, until that moment where her husband died, according to Jewish custom and the way things were back in those days, it was most likely uh, that her life was lived in devotion to her husband, to her home, to the life that they were building together, to the children they had, and to the law that they followed after. But after that, something changed. See, her hope was based on on those circumstances, but then something changed. Luke chapter 2, verse 37 starts off and says, and this woman was a widow. This is speaking about Anna of about 84 years. She had been a, a, she had been a widow for 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, what instant? When she saw Jesus after Simeon had had raised him up and declared these mighty words concerning Jesus, coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and she spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Something changed in this woman's life. After her husband's death, Anna's hope changed. And that hope changed her it changed her priorities it changed her commitment it changed her purpose it changed her devotion and friends when hope changes you hope then changes everything when hope changes you hope begins to change everything see hope has to start within us before we can hope for anything else God wants to change you and I. It reminds me of a story of uh, someone who is a family member here at the church. His name is Anthony. You probably know him. I think we have a picture of him, Anthony Grice. Come on, give it up for Anthony. He's a blessing here at the church. Uh, serves in our cafe. His wife is our worship leader. Um, loving uh, sons, that, you know, they're great family uh, like many of you. And they've been here for quite some time. And his life truly is a a miraculous work of God. You see, Anthony came from hopeless circumstances. By the way, I'm I'm sharing this by way of permission, right, from him. So just so you know, I'm not that guy who's just going to put your business out there. Just saying, right. But he came from hopeless circumstances. His mother was a young mother, and, you know, she had some challenges in her early years. Right? Like all of us, she was a work in progress, and that progress in some areas lacked momentum, like us too. And so at the age of three years old, Anthony was taken from his home. He was placed into foster care. And for the next nine years up until the age of 12, Anthony grew up in a foster home. I want you to think about what that must have been like. I want you to think about what that must feel like to not be home. Despite the dysfunction, despite the challenges, I want you to think what a three-year-old child would be experiencing in that moment. What that life might feel like. Well, Anthony was placed into a foster home with his foster mother, was uh, a a very uh, religious person. She followed a uh, um, uh, a strict manner of worship unto the Lord. So much so that she had a custom that every day, every week, the day before they went to church service, so the day prior, she would beat all the children, whether they were good or bad. It was just a customary practice. She would beat them. And she would spank them, and the children grew to accept this, this became normal and acceptable, they didn't know any better, so much so that they had a saying, uh, Anthony says that she would spank us for the old and the new, for what we did and what we didn't do, and so he was in the foster care system all these years, but then all of a sudden, years later, he's returned to his home, and he ends up coming back to the city of Newburgh, and in the city of Newburgh, it appeared to be even more hopeless. You see, in those days, and you know, to some extent, uh, uh, you know, th- throughout in, in many homes, he he lived in a in a in a state of constant tension. He came back to Lander Street, and in the city of Newburgh, there was a lot of gang activity. There was uh, uh, drug use was rampant. Crime uh, was king. Things appeared to be hopeless. There was violence, and they lived in an unhealthy home environment. Their landlords were mice, rats, and roaches, and they just happened to live with them, right? And uh, he says that there were frequent times where they went without electricity, Um, clothes were were never new, right? And food insecurity was a part of the the, the everyday life. And eventually, as uh, Anthony grew up, he had a desire to go to college. He used to love to read. And so he ends up going to college, but the truth is this, that while he was in college and it would appear that he was progressing, there were insecurities and there were damage from his younger years that still plagued him, It still challenged his ability to navigate life. It was hard. Eventually, he found someone who loved him. Come on and give it up for Ms. Hasina. Thank God for God-fearing, loving woman, right? God graced them with three loving sons. But here's something interesting that Anthony says in in our conversation. He says, you know, despite the love of my wife and the love of my family, despite the fact, you may not know this, some of you may not know this, but Anthony is currently a uh, councilman here in the city of Newburgh. And he has served this city well, right? He he has really uh, helped to try and push some things along. And with that comes a lot of accolades, comes a lot of admiration, and also some lack of admiration, right? Some despise you, some people despise you as well. But in the midst of all this, despite having so many people that love him and admire him and family and all that, something was always missing. And the one thing that Anthony says has made a difference in turning his life around and continues to is the hope that he found in Jesus. It's the love that he's come to know in Jesus. Friends, hope changes everything. But it first has to change us. It has to change us. It has to change us. us. The second point that I want to leave you with here is that we must keep hope alive. We must keep hope alive. We really must keep hope alive. Let me tell you what I'm talking about here. Simeon's hope to see Jesus was not a momentary affair. It wasn't a momentary affair. Neither was Anna's. Their hope was powerful because it was a living hope, an enduring hope, one that took them throughout their lifetimes. See, every one of us, to some extent, has experienced hope in our lives, but not many have a living hope because we don't know how to endure. We give up easily. And there's a danger to that, friends. Let me, let me show you what this danger is. Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. Let's leave that verse up for a moment. When the scripture talks about hope that is deferred, it's referring to a hope that is postponed, that is drawn out, that is prolonged. But listen to this, because we have removed hope. We remove hope. And when you remove your hope from being a hope in Jesus... When we remove our hope in the plans and the purposes and the promises of Jesus, friends, we put a stop to this process of hope working in our lives and adding life to us. And instead, the heart grows sick. Let me tell you something about a sick heart. It's a hard heart. It's a cold heart. It's an unreceptive heart. It's a doubtful and unbelieving heart. It is a bitter and resentful heart where you once had joy in Jesus. Now you just believe in Jesus. Are you hearing me? It's hope deferred. And friend, if you have deferred your hope in Christ, here's the consequence. Your heart. Will grow cold. It's not God's fault, whatever it is. Why would God allow it? <laughs> Friends, God didn't allow anything. Things happen in life, people make choices. Life has cycles, there's an end. And there's a beginning. And to be honest with you, life doesn't end whether you believe in Jesus or don't. It is an eternal process. Death is a point of transition. It's not final. Right? We go through tough times, but we rejoice because Jesus has overcome. Don't let your hope die. Don't defer your hope. But the flip side to this is that when desire comes, and this is referring to hope, it says it is a tree of life. The word desire here speaks of a hope, a longing that produces delight and satisfaction. Listen, as we wait. You know what hope actually does in your life? Hope isn't for tomorrow. Hope points you towards tomorrow, but hope is for today. Hope is for the moment. Hope is power in the waiting. Hope is confidence that God is faithful. Hope is a stubborn faith that says, I won't let go because I cannot afford to let go. And so when we endure in hope, our lives, the scripture says, become like a tree of life. This refers to a tree that stands the test of time, that blooms in season, that produces beauty and is fruitful. In other words, hope causes us to live in blessing, though we have not arrived at the promise. I got to ask you this question. How are you doing in this area of hope? Are you walking through life with a living hope? Or are you deferring on the hope of Jesus? Are you giving up? Are you being moved by circumstances? See, some of us stop short of the power of hope in Christ because we try to, to, we defer it. And so like a living tree that survives and thrives because it is fed, our hope has to be fed as well in order for it to add life to us. I got to show you from scripture how we do that. Psalm 119, starting at verse 113, says, I hate the double minded, but I love your law. This is King David speaking. He says, You are my hiding place and my shield. Say this with me I hope in your word. Let's leave that verse up for a moment. Some of us, friends, stop short of the power of our hope in Christ because we hide. We think hiding behind Jesus, hiding in Him like a shield, is to hide. We hide behind my church. I hide behind my Bible. I hide behind my prayer. I hide behind my good deeds. I hide behind these things. But you see, the problem with hiding in that fashion is that it doesn't involve hope. It doesn't involve hope. See, the power of our hope lies in our confidence and trust in God's Word. In God's Word. Let me tell you why that's important to understand. Because any attempt to hide behind God without hope founded in His Word is worthless. Hear where I'm coming from with this. If your hope in God is for a solution, if your hope in God is for provision, If your hope in God is for an outcome, if your hope in God is for something or someone, friend, you don't have a living hope. You have a dying hope because your hope is not founded on the truth in God's word. The only thing that feeds hope is the help that we receive from God's word. It's what the Holy Spirit uses to work in our lives. It enlightens us to the power of God and the plans of God. It corrects us. It teaches us. It instructs us. It equips us for all things in life. See, David faced many trials in life. He fell many times due to his mistakes and even his character flaws. But he always got back up. He always rose anew because his hope was in God's word. It wasn't for something. It was in God. i got to ask you this question. How are you doing in this area of hope? Where are you placing your hope? Where are you placing your hope? Because, friend, if your hope isn't in Christ, you don't have living hope. It doesn't add to your life. It will deplete your life. The last point that I want to leave you here with is that hope Helps. Hope helps. Here where I'm coming from with this. Hope in Christ helps because it works in the unseen realm of our lives. Whether you know it or not, you are doing better than you think, friend. You're doing better than you think. Let me take you to this point in a roundabout way. Hebrews 6 19 and 20, says this, this hope we have as an anchor for the soul. As an anchor for the soul. Both sure and steadfast. Which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. That's a mouthful. Let me try and simplify that in my limited ability. Prior to the coming of Jesus Christ as Savior of the world, there was a separation that existed between us and God. You see, God is a holy God. And because God is holy, He can only surround Himself with holiness. That presents a problem for us apart from God. Because, friends... Without Jesus, we're flawed. Without Jesus, we can't make up the difference. Without Jesus, we're stuck. We're stuck in a sinful nature. We're stuck in a place where we can't reach God. And God couldn't reach us. But you see, that's why Jesus had to come in the form of a child. Grow and experience life as a man. Because as people... It took a man to make the mess for all of us. A man broke it, and because God is a holy and just God, somebody had to fix it. The person who broke it had to fix it. The problem is we can't. And so God said, I'll come in the form of a man. I'll live among them. I'll live a sinless life, and yet I'll pay the price for it. Why? To bridge the gap and make a way. It's what the Bible calls the veil." And according to what we just saw in Hebrews 6, 19, and 20, the veil has been torn. And here's what has happened. Now Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. And listen to where the scripture tells us, what it tells us. It tells us that we have an anchor behind the veil. Get this picture. Here we are in life going through circumstances, going through Uh, Trials and tribulations, experiencing highs and lows and everything in between. And life feels like it fluctuates. Like it goes up and down, like it goes this way and that way. But when you are anchored, here's what you have to understand. The anchor is holding you. The anchor is keeping you. The anchor keeps you from drifting too far. What the scripture is telling us in Hebrews 6, 19 and 20 is that because Jesus paid the price for our sin and now we have been restored to Christ. We have an anchor for our soul, for our mind, our will and emotions. You may feel like you are lost and gone. You may believe that you've dropped the ball one too many times. You may feel insecure at times. You may feel weak at times. You may question life at times you may wonder where God is but God is holding you even when you think you're drifting he's still holding you you have an anchor we have an anchor for our souls and friend when we are aware of that our hope in Christ which is like an anchor helps us It holds us. It holds us. Anchors remind us that when life's winds blow and the seas of our journey get stormy, they remind us that we would do best when we remain tied to something solid and true. Simeon had a living hope. It was a hope. Added life to him. Notice that the scripture says that he was looking forward to the consolation of Israel. That tells us something. He was praying for them to be comforted. But Simeon already had comfort. Why? Because he had a living hope. Friend, as we stand here and we come to a close, I want to remind you of something. Your hope in Jesus will not fail you. Your hope in God will never let you go. And sometimes we drift, friends. But it's not that we drift from the presence of God. We drift from our attention upon God. We drift from the promises of God. But his promises, the scripture says, are yes and amen. He has made up his mind about you. He has blessed you. He has anointed you. He has called you. He has chosen you. He loves you, and the scripture says no height, no depth, no width, no length, nothing can separate you from the love of God. You have an anchor that is holding you down. Today, let's turn our eyes back to Christ Jesus, our hope. The hope of our glory, of his glory. The hope of God's best in our life. Friends, when you feel like it's hopeless, remember, you have hope because hope has you. Hope has you. Father, we come to you today. Let's talk to God. We come to you today, Lord, in the mighty and precious name of Jesus. In the mighty and precious name of Jesus. And, Lord, we thank you this day for what you've done. Lord, you made a way where there was no way. You loved us when we were unlovable. You see us in our worst, but you see the best. We're yours. And today, Lord, while we live in a troubled world, while there's all types of reports and all types of things that make us feel unstable, we have this promise. You are our anchor, and you're holding us down. You're not letting us go. Today, we give you praise and glory for that. Today, we honor you, and we thank you. Today, we are reminded, oh God, that we have, we're doing better than we, than we think. We're better off than we see and know but it's because we have hope in you. Help us to live with that awareness today. Help us to proceed through life knowing that our hope helps us day in and day out. We thank you for that, Lord.